Everybody, 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 drop your stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking Survivor 42, Episode 11, Battle Royale. Evan, what did you think of this episode? I thought it was a good episode of Survivor. I thought it was a 7 out of 10. I'm not jumping out of my seat at it. I don't think the title of the episode lived up to, you know, <laughs> expectations. Um, but there were certainly some entertaining moments. And I definitely think Tribal was a nail biter, which is always exciting. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Like, I really liked the episode. It's so rare this deep into the game to get as much camp life as we got uh, with Marianne's toenails falling off and like trying to catch a shark and everyone's annoyed with Jonathan and Jonathan has like a, a hidden struggle that nobody knows about which is that he's a big strong muscly man it's hard and we just don't get that kind of stuff and like to have them so deep into the game talking about I mean, whether they mean it or not talking about voting people out because they're not working around camp is like kind of funny but charming because there is like an old school quality to that you just don't hear people talking about that at this point in the game in Modern Survivor. So it's kind of charming. And so I liked it for all of those reasons. However, Do or Die is still trash. It's a flop. It should never return. I absolutely hate the concept. I hate Jeff talking about it. I hate that Jeff called it Survivor Do or Die. (laughs) So that was a big downer on the episode, in my opinion. Like, I mean, I think that the challenge and the strategy that led out of it, and obviously the fact that nobody went home as a result of do or die is, are all positives, but the, the it should never be there in the first place. It does make me curious, though, like what the fan reaction would have been had someone been sent home via do or die, because basically, I mean, for me as a fan, I would say, well, this person you know, never was voted out. Like, you know, it's sort of, it, mm-hmm. it creates this way in which they're sort of an outlier in the system of Survivor because the rules are supposed to be that, you know, once your torch is snuffed, you're gone. But this person would never have been voted out technically, would never have had that experience. So it just would put them in an odd place. So I, I think in some ways it's actually a good thing that it didn't work, but I agree with you that it should not come back. It was a two-time flop. But what's interesting too is like, Survivor trying to spin the immunity challenge as being Battle Royale when really adding to your your characterization of it as a flop, the fact that everyone but two people sat out is kind of like, I get how you could say, well, that's kind of exciting because it's like this, you know, Battle Royale. But at the same time, it's like, I don't actually think you want those odds. I think you want something more akin to what happened in 41, where the majority of the players feel like they have to play. The fact that this many players, all but two were willing to sacrifice immunity kind of tells you about the fact that like everyone's feeling comfortable right now, which is not the worst thing, but it doesn't make it great in a scenario like a do or die when you really need it to be like everyone's neck is on the chopping block. So everyone has to duke it out. So I just thought that overall, like the challenge itself, though better than the 41 challenge affixed to the do or die, I still don't think it quite worked having two people in the end. And also 
And you know me, I love an endurance challenge, but this endurance challenge, when it's just the two of them, when the stakes are this high, I think you need something a little bit more like interesting from like the television production perspective. Yeah, I agree. And like, I, I want to go back to that point you said about people feeling comfortable, because I'm not even sure that everybody felt comfortable enough to sit out. But it's like, when you have a cast of people this average in physical capability, and you have one person who is Jonathan to go up against, and you tell them, if you don't win this challenge, and if you're the first to lose, if you're the first to drop out, your the rest of your game is decided by chance, then of course you're not going to play. Like you look around, you see Jonathan, you're like, well, forget it. I'm not going to risk my entire game to like hope that I beat this person at this endurance challenge that requires a ton of upper body strength and like, I don't know, muscle coordination or whatever it requires, you know? So I feel like it's, yes, for a lot of them, they probably felt comfortable. And some of them like Romeo looked at that. And I don't know whether Romeo feels comfortable or not. Maybe he does, but it looks at that and goes, well, I'm never going to be him. So why would I even put my game on the line? But the one part of it that made me think that maybe everyone did stand a chance was how much of an edit we got around Jonathan being malnourished and Mm -hmm. sort of losing his strength. And also those challenges do not always play up, you know, big, heavy, brawny guys. Uh, I actually thought Lindsay had an advantage just going into it just by her, the fact that she is a smaller person. So she has less weight to hold up. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I I, I totally see what you're saying, but I did think they constructed it in a way where that challenge didn't necessarily play to Jonathan's strengths. Um, Like there's a world in which someone like Romeo could do very well at a challenge like that um, due to the fact that he's very lightweight and there's very little body weight to hold up. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was interesting ultimately, but like, I don't know. I feel like there have been some of those like head to head. We should actually, maybe we'll do a deep dive at some point, but like those actual battle royales and challenges in which it's like, oh my God. I feel like they've done a great um, amount of making this season kind of in the last couple episodes, I should say, because Lindsay is a new character, right? We can't forget that. (laughs) Despite the fact that we have this three episode run where she is a leading lady, she is a new character to the Survivor verse. Um, But they've done a good job in these last three episodes of very much making it a Jonathan V. Lindsay situation. Um, But... Which I get, but I'm, that's not necessarily the most entertaining, uh, you know, plot line that we have this season for me. Yeah, and I have to say to that fact, I was really worried for Lindsay here when she lost backstory. because I thought a hundred percent. I mean, not only did she get the backstory, but it's like I've been wondering to myself, why was Lindsay purple in the pre-merge and then main character in the post-merge? And I thought. She is going home on do or die. They did not want us to be too invested. They wanted us to be impressed by her, be sad that we lost her, but not so invested that we had spent an entire season rooting for her to then be sent home in a game of chance. And then that didn't even happen. So like, I'm also just left confused by Lindsay's entire edit as a result. But I really thought we were set up getting set up for Lindsay to go home on do or die. I agree. And this adds to something I think we've talked about in, in past episodes, which is this idea of like, as predictable as this show often is, in my attempts to sort of be like, oh, well, I've seen this before and this is going to go this way. It doesn't always pan out. So I have to give some credit to the story editors here in sort of uh, 42 seasons in, you you think you know, you've watched this how many times now and it still manages to sort of twist and turn. So I think that's a, that's a testament to the quality of the show remaining good. 
Yeah. Well, let's get into the recap. I think we've touched a little bit on everything, but let's dive a little deeper where we open the episode. Let's dig deeper. Let's dig deeper. Dig deep. Oh, Jeff had a good one this episode. I've got. I actually, yeah, I wrote it down. (laughs) Because we we, will. Sorry, real quick though. But while we're talking about it, because it changed to dig it in. And I was really struck by, because the transition from dig deep to dig it in, I was like, wow. Oh, mine is different. Mine is different. What do you have? Well, Jeff said at the beginning of the immunity challenge when he was breaking the fourth wall, it was as he was describing do or die to the audience where he says that the dangerous do or die twist is back. And like, it's just the way he says danger. Like, he's just pushing this narrative so hard on us. And I have to respect the hustle, but it's embarrassing a little bit. Right. But I like that duality of like, we respect it. Cause like, go big or go home. <laughs> and he's going big consistently, but it's also ridiculous. But yeah, no, I, I would I think rather him go big and flop exactly, than yep. middle. And yeah. listen, he's flopping, but like he's going big in the pursuit. Now, the dig it in comment is, I think it's during the challenge itself that he actually okay. says dig it in. And I just was like surprised because, you know, we have survivor nomenclature. So when it changes up, it's just, you know, it's jarring. Anyway, let's yeah. let, let's dig deep into the episode. <laughs> okay, we're going to dig deep. We're back from the tribal council where High was voted out. And the name on everyone's lips is High. Everybody is talking about high. I feel like he's getting still more screen time than Romeo, for example. And I think the big takeaway from this is that Mike believes that he orchestrated the high vote. And I think it's another subtle nod to Omer's kind of under the radar game where we saw that Omer started planting this seed in Mike's head, like right after the Roxroy vote. And it's really interesting how Mike is being portrayed because I think that around the time of the merge and up to that point, Mike was a very heroic figure who was smart and level-headed and stable. And we're getting to this point where we are now at a point where after this episode, Mike has voted out at least three of his close allies And I don't think that any of them have benefited his game. They've all benefited Omer's game and Lindsay's game. But I don't think that Mike is benefiting at all. And I mean, we're seeing that people respect Mike. I mean, Drea on her way out said that Mike is a risk for the win. And so it's just like, I don't know what's happening with Mike. When did he start melting down? And it's fun to watch his game flip on its head, but wow. Yeah, I feel like with Mike, and I guess I feel this way about a lot of people on this current season, I'm just, I'm not quite sure who he's aligned with at any given time. I know who he doesn't like, right? Like I know Chanel, gunning for, high, gunning for. But in, like, I guess I'm curious, like who is... Jonathan, she's not. I always confuse Mike and Jonathan. Who is Mike's <laughs> final three at this juncture? I think it has to be Omer and Lindsay. Okay, but then it's like, but him and Jonathan have the that bond, and you think he's mm-hmm. going to turn on Jonathan? I mean, they're both men. They're mm. strong men, and it's difficult to be a strong man in this world. And I feel like you know they have that. <laughs> they out of necessity, they have to stick together. So I don't know, I I just, I I guess I'm curious, I I agree with you, like that does seem like the final three, but I'm curious in what scenario he turns his back on Jonathan and does that ultimately lose him a vote in the, you know, in the end? Because 
will Jonathan be bitter about losing who he might have thought was his, you know, t- you know, till the end? Yeah, we haven't really gotten any insight into what Mike thinks of his relationship with Jonathan since that those merge conversations where they talked about being big guys. Right. And like, are they strategizing together? Cause one thing with Jonathan that's gotten lost is like, we just don't really see a lot of Jonathan strategically. One thing that I have heard mentioned online is this idea that like, may, is it Taku is the name of the tribe? The mm-hmm. Taku four. Yeah. There is the, uh, some people that are out there saying that the Taku four is actually an alliance that they just have not been showing in the edit, um, which is interesting to consider. So the idea that like maybe him and Jonathan's bond uh, is quite superficial and is more about them as people than it is necessarily in, you know, an alliance in the game itself. That's interesting to consider. But yeah, I don't really know uh, Jonathan's game plan at all. Uh, and then also, you know, where that puts positions him and Mike throughout the game. Yeah, it's really interesting to watch this edit unfold because it's like, I think that we have a pretty good sense of where Omer stands, where Lindsay stands. And that's kind of it. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, we saw them go on that reward where they got the videos from home. And that was Lindsay, Omer, and Mike. And Mike was so thankful, profusely thankful. They talked about a final three. It seemed a little superficial. I'm not sure that it, that was like a solid, solid final three that was created there or just like in the heat of the moment they said that. But like I see that as a possibility. But, you know, you bring up the Taku 4 and I think the fact that they're all still there and they're all still voting together and they they have... You know, Marianne with this with a, a secret hidden idol. They have, I think she still has an extra vote, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she does. Like, they have power in the game. And now they have a majority in the game. So, like, are they, are they going to turn on Mike? They've, they've got a great opportunity to turn on Mike. They had a great opportunity to turn on Mike in this episode. Are they saving that? I mean, Omer could keep Mike's idol, potentially, does he want to do that? Did the did Drea actually put a target on Mike's back on her way out that the Taku Four might want to take advantage of? Well, we'll get to that Drea speech because I think there's yeah. much to circle circle around on that. Much to discuss. Speech monologue. Um, yeah, it was uh, a lengthy sketch comedy routine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's Mike. Well, let's move on to uh, some of the other goings on. So we have with Hygon, we have Lindsay and Drea being the final two amulet holders. And we see them trying to connect. I feel like it's all uh, very superficial because it's been interesting that we have the amulets, which are, I actually think, a really compelling new twist. I think that it's actually really interesting. And the fact that it didn't take up a ton of screen time this season, I think, is to its benefit because it's just always been in the background. Maybe it doesn't really turn out to, like, do anything for anybody. Uh, now that Dre is gone, of course, in hindsight, we know that that Lindsay is the final amulet holder and she has an idol in her pocket as a result. But, you know, even Lindsay and Drea, like, making this show of connecting and, like, talking about what's going to be possible to, you know, do with their amulets. Like, we see them talk about having that conversation. We never actually see that conversation happen. Right. Which is interesting. So, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm not sure that they took enough advantage of 
building up the strategy around the amulet holders because surely Drea and Lindsay both have to be thinking like, this is my last chance. I have to get the other person out. And we did get that a little bit pre-tribal. And of course, like not a lot of strategy on Drea's part because Lindsay just faces do or die and either does or dies. And so not much for her to do there. And I think we see Lindsay probably having Drea as her primary target as a result of the amulet, but that's not like the driving factor. That's not what we're hearing from Lindsay and confessionals as the driving factor, the primary factor in her vote against Drea. Right. Which I think would have helped to sort of thread the needle on why everyone was gunning so hard for Drea. Yeah. Yeah. So as I said, we got a lot of great camp life. I loved Marianne's toenail falling off And this idea of her having an annual quota of toenail losses. (laughs) You just don't see them sitting around uh, at camp anymore, just like shooting the shit. And it's so refreshing to see. Because you're like, wow, there's there's people here that like loathe each other. Like people really dislike Romeo. We know this. You know, that's a bit of the other camp life we get. Romeo's just sitting around eating the dredges of rice in the pot and people are annoyed as hell. And he's talking about how he doesn't do anything for anybody. And then we see these scenes, but like ultimately you're living with this person 24 seven, you have to like get along with them. And so you just see these scenes of the entire tribe just interacting and like shooting the shit. It's so refreshing to see. I love it. I concur. You know, we both love our camp life. I, I guess I didn't really get the Marianne. Like I didn't get what we were to infer as like an audience from that camp life <laughs> moment, but like, sure. I, I understand. I, I too am of the mindset of like, I'd rather see more of that. I will say though, I do think Romeo is a bit of flop casting just because in a season where you have so many strong contenders for the win right now, it's a bit disappointing to see Romeo recognizing the fact that he has no chance of winning the game whatsoever. So now the question really just becomes, are the players savvy enough to recognize that and drag him to the end? But I sort of like, at one point early on in this episode, which turned out to be a red herring, but uh, we had this idea of like, will these five strong players band together and will we have that sort of like strong final five, sort of like an actual battle royale, right? And what I think is disappointing about having someone like Romeo in the mix is like, I would love to see a season where you actually get that, where the strongest players say, hey, let's see who is the best of the best. We really rarely get that these days. And I think Romeo just is this huge huge outlier right now and like everybody has a road to a win right now my you jonathan perhaps not but i still think there's a way in which he he gets the win in um except for romeo romeo is that outlier right now it's like what is he still doing here or as i'm saying what is he what was he ever doing here i thought that conversation about the final five duking it out etc i thought that was a bad reflection on drea actually who i love i've loved drea this whole season and i thought well wait drea this season or the drea that emerged in the final five moments of the episode (laughs) because there were two Drea. hey i think that that drea emerged early in this episode because do you remember when she was talking was she was talking about Jonathan maybe mm-hmm. complaining about him in a confessional mm-hmm. and she was just doing this like face or like a like a noise and I was like upon the upon a rewatch I was like oh that's the Drea and has this Drea been here the whole time why haven't we seen her that's always the question right it's like was this the person that was there all along and the edit didn't give us them or did this person emerge and we'll never I mean I, was I have we'll to think that, she but. I have to think she was there the whole time like she's a bit cool. Like, she's a bit kooky. 
And maybe like when you're on a tribe with Tori, you just don't get the opportunity to like be kooky because you're with an actual crazy person. Right. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I, but all that to say, I do. I've, I really like Drea, but she's the one saying like, let's let's do this like five strongest at the end. And maybe she was trying to make Mike feel comfortable because we know she wants to go for Mike or she wants to go for Jonathan. Both of them are in that that potential final five. But we only hear from Mike that Mike was faking that in order to make Drea feel safe. So we have no confirmation that Drea made that proclamation as a red herring or as like a little white lie. Right. And so I have to take it at face value. And like, I think that that's a bad way to play the game. And in season 42, while I appreciate it and I don't need Romeo taking up a spot at the final three, I think it's a bad way to play the game. No, you're totally right. It's a bad way to play the game now. But this gets to something to reference our fabulous Parvati interview from earlier this week that Parvati was talking about, which I think is like something to really like sink our teeth into at some point, which is the idea of like the game has changed, not only in, you know, all of the obvious ways, but also in the fact that like you are less rewarded. I think in the earlier iterations of the game, you would be more rewarded for duking it out. And even Mm -hmm. something that Parvati said, sort of unrelated, but I actually think quite related, is like the friendship that she had with Amanda. She said, you could never have that in today's modern game. A a friendship with that much like depth to it. And I think this is one of the ways the game has changed, which is like how a winner is rewarded and for what actions. And I think someone like Omar's game is a very season 42 way to win the game. Whereas I just think that in in a past version of the show, I think, uh, or a past iteration, if you will, uh, I think that having you know, the best of the best going to the end and duking it out is just really fun. But yeah, I don't think that's the way to play at present, knowing how the jury works and and just, you know, seeing the machinations of the show over time. Yeah, totally. And if you haven't listened to our poverty interview, stop this recap and go listen to our poverty interview. Please. Okay. (laughs) Okay, what else do we see? We see them trying to go catch a shark. Apparently there's a shark uh, just hanging out around camp great love that and so they go to try to catch it again like they're not like quite finishing these stories like we don't see them actually like what happens do they not catch it do they catch it but ultimately what it what the point is is they're trying to like untangle the net jonathan's not helping everyone's really annoyed with each other and snapping at each other and we get jonathan talking about you know how he people don't know how much he's struggling because he's burning two thousand calories just by laying there every day and so he really needs some people to respect that he has been the provider. And if they're not seeing that, I really liked what he said about if he's like, I, this is a role I'm playing and I'm doing it as strategy. And if it's not being seen, then it's not working. I actually thought that was very insightful for him to say. And I mean, I think there's bigger issues than like people not seeing that he's playing the role of provider because I think what that's demonstrating to me is that he has a blind spot up for all of his faults, mm. which are personality based, I think, and hair based. Um, but <laughs> yeah, let me ask you this as like a sort of an aside, but I know that you were sort of like on a little bit of the Jonathan Thirst train earlier this season. Uh-huh. And I couldn't help but like look at him in this episode. I mean, no disrespect, but I was pretty disgusted. Um, I just was yeah. like, this is a distinctly unattractive person. Not that attractiveness is necessarily, you know, the most important thing in life, but I'm just, I bring this up only because 
you were thirsting earlier this season. When you looked at him up on the that contraption and he's hanging on, and because they did some full body shots, you know, yeah, camera really yeah. tilting down. I'm just wondering your reaction to that. So, so. I feel like. <laughs> I have mentioned in the past. I feel like I have cleared things up. Yeah, you unstand. Maybe not explicitly enough. I've I've unstand, but I've also like unthirsted a little bit because I think the whole vibe is off. I think like he started kind of fun and interesting. And as soon as the personality shift started happening right at the merge, when he started talking about being a big guy and how that's like a burden in his life, it just suddenly became unsexy to me. Yeah. And despite his incredible physical capabilities and the the diet, you know, the, the incredible yeah, yeah, diving yeah. that we saw and all of that, like it I I remain impressed to a certain extent, but but thoroughly turned off. And in the challenge in particular, I mean like, yeah, look, he has a great physique. He's getting a little sinewy. And, um, you know, he's lost all of his body fat. I mean, there's nothing he can do about that. Um, and so it's, uh, I'm trying not to like talk about somebody's looks in too much detail, but I will say like, I'm not, I'm not thirsting anymore. I'm over it. He looks like, he looks like he smells. And like, I know that on Survivor, you know, you everybody looks like they smell, but he really looks like he smells. And yeah, that's like a big turnoff. It's giving me like smells off the island. It's not like a island yeah. related. And it's not even yeah. like, it's just that like, I feel like after he takes a shower, he still smells. Still smells. Yeah. 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 But some people are into that. Some people like, you know, that uh, aroma. No, but... no, no. Hey, I, I'm very down for like a little musk. But yeah, yeah. I feel like he's... Thanks. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No. I think. I think this was an important aside, just because I think people wanted to check in with where you were at with Jonathan. Yeah. I don't think I've really like thirsted for a player since. Who's the guy that won thirty eight? Oh, Chris. Chris. I think that's my last real like thirst moment. Interesting. Bring oh. him back. Come on, season 30. Well, he was the mistake bringing Nick back for Winners at War was the mistake over Chris. But anyway, okay, sorry. I'm losing the plot. Not Dean? <laughs> um, No, you, I remember before I watched it, you were like, you gotta like have your eyes out for Dean, like Dean, 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 Dean. Yeah, Dean's fine. I'm not like thinking about him I think him I was like the sexiest man I've yeah, ever I was gonna seen say, you season said. 39. Yeah. And like, I'm sorry to Brett, but I think Dean is the sexiest. Like, he exudes sex appeal to me in a way that is. Uh, Should our next? It, it, it throws me off balance. I get it. Should our next um, <laughs> deep dive be the sexiest man of Survivor? I feel like people have been wanting this for a while. What is just... it? A top ten or a top twenty? I 20. mean, we got this very confused on our. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got the numbering very confused. On did our we last get it confused dive. or did I get it confused? Um, I appreciate well, you weeing it. Um. Yeah, no, let's do the top 20 sexiest men. Although let's, okay. okay, wait, let's like go over our list together in advance because I don't, I think we're going to have some overlap and mm. let's make it 20 so that we have no overlap. Anyway. Yeah, true, true. Anyway, I don't think anyone people, from yeah. 42 is making it onto the list. Not that there aren't sexy men, uh, but I don't think they're making it into the top 20. Chris from season 38, however... Like, I'm not opposed to putting Jonathan in the top 20. Oh, God. Sean, no. No. Like, episode one, Jonathan? No. 
No. Top Look, 20 I, of I, all I, time? Uh, we'll see. No, I but here's the put... difficult thing is it's like when you have multiple, when you have players from multiple seasons, because like for instance, I think the Colby of season two would go on the top 20 list, but the Colby of season 20, I'm like, eh. So that'll be interesting to You're consider. You're fucking wrong. You're sick for that. Sick Colby that in season 20 is hot. I don't know, because he's just such a he loser. He's so hot I think in season I, 20. I don't, I don't care that he's a loser. He's so hot. Okay. Okay. Well, look, we're going to get into it. That's our next deep dive. Apparently, this is a great opportunity for me to ask for voicemails who are your hottest survivor contestants. They could be men or women. I yeah, don't yeah, care. absolutely. We'll open up. Well, I, I'm assuming we'll do a, the top 20 hottest women of Survivor at some point, which will be really fun coming from you and I. I actually think we can, like, we can. Oh my God. It's yeah. going to be like Sue Hawk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hawk. I was going to say, it's like, yeah, <laughs> Kathy's going on that Scout. list. Scout <laughs> yeah. Cloudly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, love that. Okay, stay tuned for that. Okay, so we see that Omar is like starting to break with Mike a little bit here because he feels like I think after Mike tells Omar like, hey, I just said that final five deal thing to Drea to like mislead her, etc, etc. Omar kind of gives this confessional where he says, Mike was railing against high. He was so eager to get high out because he felt like high thought he was running the show. And he doesn't realize that he has become the new high. And again, we get this great scene with Lindsay and Omer, I think, where Omer talks about this with her. And so it's really like the only two people that I see is really, really tight together are Omer and Lindsay. Well, this is something that I put down in my notes overall this season. It's really hard to get a sense outside of Omer and Lindsay who has the strongest alliances. Because something that Hai was saying during one of his exit interviews was that he and Omer, wait, him, Drea, who, do you know what I'm talking about? Hai said that he him. had a final three. It was him, Drea, and someone else. And it's like, we barely ever saw I think him and Omer. Drea speak. I think okay. Omer. Right. So then, oh, yes, Because yes, Drea yes. said in her exit also about, like, the only reason I told the knowledge is power thing to Omer was because we had such a close personal relationship. Right. So I three. think one of the, perhaps, I was going to say a weakness this season, but maybe there's a reason why in the end. But, like, something that I guess we've noticed so far is, like, we don't have real, a real sense of, like, who's the tightest out here. Because when Dre and Lindsay had that moment earlier on in the episode, I was like, is this amulet related? Or is the, or are they actually in this type on and like who's to say mm -hmm. it's hard to know or even like as we're saying with Jonathan and Mike for instance it's like it's hard to know how strong the bonds are and I think that again I'm always referencing one world especially lately but it's like I love the fact that you knew that Chelsea and Kim were in it to win it together there was no it was like these are this is the final two and though it can fan out to a larger alliance these are the two that are like in it till the end so I, I, I like watching that. one world are you re-watching no, why is I, it on the mind? I think because we've been talking because of the poverty conversation and the conversation about strong female alliances. I just feel mm. like because Micronesia gets its due, I feel like One World just is like coming to mind as far as like we've had a second all female alliance that went to the end that deserves you know it's like I don't know maybe we'll round up the the all women's alliance from One World at some point and do like a panel reunion or something. Anyway, would love cat. Hello. Does cat count? Yeah, cat counts. <laughs> cat always counts. <laughs> okay, let's go to the immunity challenge where, as I mentioned, Jeff is breaking the fourth wall. He's talking about the dangerous do or die twist. It's back, and boy, oh boy, won't it be fun. 
he's really selling it and he explains it to the tribe and tells them that the first person to drop out of the challenge will face the do or die. I feel like he gave them a lot more information this season than he did in 41. I didn't like rewind the footage on 41 to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure he gave them more information in terms of like, you are going to face a game of chance and you, if you lose, you'll go home, etc. I don't think he went into that much detail. And so maybe that's also why a whole bunch of people sit out is because they're like, well, fuck this. Right, they're like, now that I have a better understanding. Yeah, Yeah, so as we mentioned, everybody except for Lindsay and Jonathan sit out of the challenge. It's that old crucifixion challenge, the one that I I often think about uh, Christian Hubicki and David versus Goliath just chit-chatting with Jeff while Alec is like willing him to step down. Um, and it's also the iconic uh, San Juan del Sur challenge where Natalie Anderson spits on herself. Um, and that Reed wins. Okay. <laughs> so I do love this challenge, but I don't think I love it as a showdown between two people. Yeah, I think you just need more people involved in it because when you have two people from the outset and you know you're just going to be sitting there, there's just not a lot of possibilities of like, you know, yeah. to watch. Like the second they were like off to the races, I was kind of like, okay, like. I might fast forward. And there was something really fun to this challenge in San Juan del Sur when Jeff would bring out the food to take right. them down. I, I do I mean, really miss that. What wasn't fun about San Juan del Sur? Let's be honest. Top tier season. True. Well, Missy. Oh. Okay, so Jonathan wins and Lindsay will face the do or die. Back at camp. Now we're getting our red herrings. Lindsay's getting a backstory. She was the only female football player in her town. And she always wants to compete. And now that quality might be sending her home. And uh, I really, really thought that she was going to go home. Like I said, what did you think when she got? But, but I will say, (laughs) before I throw it to you, is that I have said multiple times this season that... I have second guessed the backstory editing because it's like every time they show the backstory when you when you're like almost positive the person's going home and then you're like oh well they're getting their backstory so they're definitely going home they don't go home so now it's almost like the backstory is a signal that the person is not going home I mean, just as a side note, I'm like, cut the backstories for me. I don't want any backstory. I think you either bring it up in conversation with someone during the game and they capture that. But like the fact that, you know, your partner is dying of cancer or you had to persevere in this way throughout your life, again, bring it in a scene, bring it to the final tribal, fine. But I don't need this sort of like these packages to me. They're just so saccharine and and strange. Um, that said, being that Lindsay was erased from the first half of this season and not present on the show and as a new cast member, as I mentioned, yeah, it was it was helpful to get more information as to who she is just because, again, we're just meeting her. So anything is helpful. And yeah, I, I definitely think it informed a little bit of like, okay, this tells me a little bit about who Lindsay is. But like all that said, her being like this big competitor, I learned that from the last three episodes. That was not like mm-hmm. information that was like really helping me color in between the lines. But nonetheless, to your point, yes, red herring, they gooped me a little. Kudos to them. I do think that although this backstory was almost reminiscent of Xander's backstory last season, I actually I actually really liked it. I liked seeing Lindsay in the football kit. 
Yeah, and, we're, she was serving. Uh, you know, have you ever seen the movie Little Giants? <laughs> I loved Little Giants. Yeah, she was giving me Icebox. Yes. Yes. Oh my God, I would rent, I never had Little Giants, but I would rent it like on a weekly basis. And it's funny, everyone's like, oh my God, Devin Sawa was so hot and now and then. I'm like, no, Devin Sawa and Little Giants. <laughs> it's funny, I when I interviewed him, I don't think we spoke of Little Giants, but the um, toilet paper in the, in the supermarket scene, when oh my God, formative. I think you mentioned it, but I don't think you talked about it. We could have done a whole hour on it, let's be honest. If memory serves correct. Okay, <laughs> so... Uh, Okay, what else is going on? Drea explains in a confessional that it's in her best interest for Lindsay to go home, of course, because of the amulet, which would leave Drea with an idol in her pocket without ever having to cast a vote against Lindsay. Great situation for her. That's not going to work out. Likewise, Lindsay wants Drea out so that her amulet becomes an idol. And then we get this like montage of everyone talking about Drea being a big threat to win and all of them wanting her out. Uh, Mike tells Drea that he wants Romeo out and that he's willing to play his idol to make it happen. And uh, that, of course, is a- another one where we get a Mike confessional where he says, you know, I'm only saying this to make Drea feel comfortable. But I felt like it was like way oversharing for him to say, I'll play my idol. Right. So unnecessary. Because wasn't like, the whole reason, if you're from his perspective, isn't your argument, let's just make this an easy vote? So when you bring yeah. up the idol, it's like, well, suddenly it's not an easy vote. It's like, why do you feel like you're in the corner? Right. Back against the wall, whatever the phrase is. <laughs> so that was weird. And then Drea, well, her spidey senses are going off because she feels like something's up because everyone's acting weird. And so Drea talks to Omer and they talk about Mike. And Drea tells Omer that she's going to take Mike's idol using the knowledge is power advantage. Huge mistake. So unnecessary. Why did she do this? But, you know, like having listened to some Drea exit press, she says that she was so personally close to Omer that she felt that she could really confide in him. And that's, I think, another testament to Omer's game. I think he's playing a really good game. But is it going to backfire on him? Because as I hear Drea tell that story in her exit press, there is a chip on her shoulder about it. Good. About the fact that, like, he, like, she said, he used very very personal things to connect with me about which caused me to open up about game things and then he used it against me i mean now like i think all's fair in love and survivor but people there is a jury and they feel a certain way about that kind of stuff i also feel like people are giving omar a lot of credit i do feel like in the past episodes and when we've spoken like yes omar has had some great moves particularly i enjoyed when he would like double cross someone and then turn to the camera and give us like an eye roll of like i'm with you and then like Mm -hmm. letting us in but this move i don't think is that spectacular a in the fact that i think he shared the decision with Lindsay, and it was ultimately Lindsay that like planted the seed of this idea but the way i see it is it's like there's two options for how this goes and it's like he chose option b so i don't think it was like some like masterful plan it's like you got some information and you decided to make a move that's how survivor works i'm seeing people talk about this as though like oh my god like omar like that mastermind and i just don't really see that i think that he made I don't think it was the obvious move. I think he made the not obvious move, but people make the not obvious move quite often. And that's, again, how you play the game. Mm. So wait, are you saying, was it Lindsay's idea to say like, do we take Mike's idol? Yeah. 
Did she say that? I'm. I mean, I hate. I just don't remember. I, I just think don't remember. so, but I obviously can always hear the people commenting because that's a big deal. Because remember, like I think people, it's easy to forget. Well, I'm not that confident these people enough. Have not to... seen forty one, and so I think that the the strategy of playing around the knowledge is power advantage to hide the idol, especially this deep into the game. I mean, it happened much earlier in forty one. I think is a very impressive strategy. Haven't we gotten the knowledge is power before season 41? Never. Are you sure? I'm 100% positive. So we've only gotten, we've gotten an idol nullifier. The knowledge is really? Okay. Okay. I mean, the nullifier takes similar sort of savvy Mm -hmm. to play correctly. In some ways, it's actually a little more difficult because you don't know who it's going to play for. But again, okay, so I, I can't speak with certainty, but I, but needless to say, I think, think it was Lindsay. Um, so whoever anyway. it was, I just think I don't very know. Impressive. You say that that's like really impressive, but I'm putting myself in that position. And if if Drea had come to me, like I would put those pieces together of like, oh, let's just take the. I, I don't know. I don't think it's that impressive. I don't think I'm uh, a very smart person, and I think I would have thought of that. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe. It's like you, you're you're in a game called Survivor. You're yeah. playing out all the scenarios. This to me seems like a pretty obvious scenario. I just I think like <laughs> we're being quick. Not we, but like I think people are being quick to give Omar and or Lindsay a lot of credit. And to me, I just think there's you know it's a game. You're you're playing out all of how things could go. I see what you mean. I feel like for me, it would take like a little bit. Like I'd need to like sit down, read the rules. Okay. Well, what, what do you mean you can just take an idol? Oh, you have to ask the specific person, and they have to have it in their possession at that time and they can't lie like all of those like nuances of like how this specifically works and maybe she did share those with omer but i feel like i wouldn't come up with that until i read the like read the rules of the advantage but i'm also a big dum-dum so i mean i don't know okay so right before tribal we have omer basically like breaking down what all of his potential moves are so he can either work with drea to allow her to take mike's idol and then blindside mike he can ask for Mike's idol, hang on to it, let Drea play her knowledge as power advantage on Mike, have it fail, vote Drea out. Or he can take Mike's idol, have Drea play her knowledge as power advantage, ask Mike for his idol, that flops, he still votes Drea out. Did I repeat one of those? I don't know. I don't know, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so i felt like i really enjoyed the like strategy edit here pre-tribal because i felt like we really saw all the options and i again was like a little worried because i felt like they were having a lot of fun with the edit showing us all of the potential options and then Lindsay was just going to go home like it felt like they were giving us too much information Right. But alas, they get to tribal council. Lindsay plays do or die. Just like Deshaun last season, she does not switch her box. She beats the statistics and she survives. She's safe. Thank God. Good riddance to do or die. I hope we never see it again. But again, it would have been really fascinating had she gone home there, just because I think there would have been a big upset in the fandom about that twist and particularly losing Lindsay, who is a strong contender to win. Um, It's like this episode was saved by the fact that it didn't work. Mm -hmm. But between the fact that the immunity challenge was so boring and then this potentially could have just been the end of the episode, I would be interested in how they would have edited this episode had that happened. Yeah, that's a good point. It like, I think that 
people are glossing over the do or die a little bit this season because we've already expressed our outrage in season 41. Of course, it leads to nothing in this episode, except I guess that Lindsay has immunity after she wins, but I don't think she even needed it. And it's like, we still need to be outraged. Like we need to take to the streets about this because Mm. we need to protest outside of Jeff Probst's house because this is just absolutely... unforgivable okay (laughs) well wait while we're on that is there like i'm trying to think because i'm thinking about this week's emoji is there anything like a uh similar (laughs) to like protest like um like a sign or something i guess i don't think there's a sign okay wait well let me just pick it while we're here so we're well it's do or die so like we have the flame emoji or the skull emoji is that too obvious Mm. It's a little too obvious for me. Okay. I want something more protest-based. So let's go with, you know what? Let's go with the hole emoji. It's just <laughs> um, a hole. <laughs> Is there a better way to describe it? No, it's, it's, ju- like, it's just a hole, sir. It's just a hole, sir. Let's go with the hole. It's right above the skeleton, wow. or like the x-ray, rather, if people are having trouble finding it. Now, but why are we go going with the hole? Because we want to throw the do or die in it? <laughs> yeah, th- that's why. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that's why. And it has nothing to do with Chris from season 38. It has everything to do with the do or die. Okay, good. It has nothing to do with Dean either. Okay, so Lindsay mm-hmm. is safe. Now we have a tribal on our hands and Drea pulls out her knowledge's power advantage. She asks Mike for his idol. I have to say, Mike, acting. He, he's Yeah, no, he acting. it was giving Dorit on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills level acting. I genuinely thought that he still, he, he fooled me. Yeah. I thought he had the idol. He seemed very defeated. And she asks him for his idol. He does not have it. You know, she may be observing a lot, but she didn't observe Mike giving his idol to Omer. So, second recurring flop this episode, where we had the do or die flop and we had the knowledge is power flop. And so it's time to vote. Drea, in a last ditch effort, casts her extra vote for Mike. Interesting that Romeo also votes for Mike and all other votes go on Drea and she goes home. Now, the reason I say interesting that Romeo also votes for Mike is because Romeo has voted correctly once since the merge and that was on the roxroy vote every other vote he has cast since the merge has been incorrect he, he did not cast the vote for the person who went home he's giving nothing that's why i say flop casting a little bit yeah i just feel like if you're casting the season there should be a scenario in which every player that you cast wins. And I just think from the outset, there wasn't like Romeo was just never a team player. He like there, I just didn't see a road for him from the outset. And I, I just think, think he that was that's... good early on, like his relationship no, because with he was... Drea. Like I felt like, he yeah, was, but like, he a turned bit... on her so quickly. Mm. It just never seemed like there was any loyalty. Did it was like, he, he was her sensei for like one episode, but that was, he was her self-imposed sensei. Hmm. I don't know. I I think he had a lot of potential. I think that he's like, honestly, was too skinny. I think he had no energy whatsoever. Mm. Like, I truly think he has no energy. And he's just like, it's almost sad watching him pick the rice out of the pot because I'm like, he needs that race. He needs that race more than Jonathan. Jonathan can lift. No, it's not almost sad. It was was certainly sad. Sad. He looked like Gollum. It was distinctly sad. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so then I guess we can talk here about Drea's wacky exit. It uh, came out of nowhere, like you said. I, I just want to talk about her speech a little bit. Because, uh, of course, so she's doing this like back and forth, like tackling Mike. Mike's going to still come visit her in Canada. All's good. Right, great. But on her way out, which I think should be against the rules, she gives a speech. Me too. About every single person. Lindsay, I'm rooting for you. Jonathan, you were never on my radar, which actually is a pretty good read. Mike, if you make it to the end, you'll probably win. Romeo, you've been on the block every time. Omer, you're the only one I told my secret to, and I want everyone else to know that. Marianne, keep being you, babes. (sighs) Which is like... Talk about a read, <laughs> like an unintended read, but it's like everyone, it's like something to say. And then it's like, Marianne, do you? Yeah. And it's like, but Marianne received that. It seemed like she was uh, grateful for that. Um, yeah. But she gives three people a potential kiss of death here. Lindsay, I'm rooting for you. Okay, interesting. Mike, if you make it to the end, you'll probably win. That's reminiscent of Shan's message to Ricard on the way out in 41, I feel like, where she said, you've got my vote for the million dollars. Like, I feel like that's a big target to put on Mike's back. Although I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. I think people know this about Mike. Maybe I'm wrong. But that Omer one really, really is a gut punch, I think, because saying you're the only one, like just outing that Omer can't be trusted. This is the first time that somebody is like saying this publicly that I told Omer information in confidence and he used it against me. I think if other people start digging into that, they can find other instances because there are other instances. So very curious to see how that's going to play out. Or is Omer just protected by the Taku 4? It doesn't even matter. I mean, I don't think Omar is in a good spot right now, especially if you look at just because how many people possess idols now in the game. Um, but I wanted to bring up the other thing about that. I, I'm a totally aligned with you that this is should be a, there needs to be a hard and fast rule about this. Is that Drea could have turned to them right then and been like, "By the way, guys, Lindsay now has an idol. That advantage now, mm. Lindsay, because because High and I are voted out, she now has an idol and completely." blown up Lindsay's game if she had chosen to. So we're talking about the ramifications of just, you know, Omar and like, this is sort of subtle, right? That requires people like picking up on some things. But if you are indeed allowed to speak like that and you actually have a bone to pick with someone, there's a way in which she could quite legitimately have blown up someone's game and given information that no one else knows. I just think there needs to be a hard and fast rule where once your name is read, you are not allowed, you need to come up, have your torch snuffed and leave. Like that needs, there needs to be rules around that because I think that that was a potentially very volatile situation. It's a good thing that her and Lindsay are in a good spot because had she been resentful, I mean, she could have totally, because right now, if I understand correct, Lindsay and Marianne are the only two people in the game right now that possess anything that no one knows about, right? Because no one knows about, or wait, No, does... people know about the amulet. Mike and Omer right. know about the amulet. Right, Mike and, okay, okay, fair enough. But nonetheless, I'm just saying, I, I think there needs to be hard and fast rules around this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's, ne- I don't think there's ever, been, I don't, uh, maybe even the very early there seasons, hasn't, yeah, yeah. there has been a rule around that. But I but... also... I feel like this sets a precedent for people that are yeah. looking to like make television yeah. to like act wild. And I feel like if anything, Jeff needs to like clamp down on that and like not even like that small moment with her being able to like snuff the torch. I'm just like, 
again, it's like we have traditions on this show. I think when we start, you know, when we go from 39 to 26 and come on in, you guys, to come on in, some changes work, others do not. But I just feel like there's certain staples of the show that I don't want to see changed. And, like, I didn't like, like, the mixing up the snuffing the torch. I didn't like that at all. <laughs> Me neither, to be honest. I will say, like— Am I a low-key conservative? <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have conservative, you have traditional values. Ah, uh, yeah. yes, indeed. Uh, so I will say that although we haven't seen this a whole lot on U.S. Survivor, it is s- more commonplace than I would like on Australian Survivor to blow up people's games on the way out. And I don't know whether or not Dre is a fan of Australian Survivor, but like I feel like as more people are discovering that franchise and other franchises i think we're gonna start seeing some crossover and there's like big ways to screw people over and we've seen it on australian survivor where someone even lies on their way out and says so and so has an idol without actually knowing and like maybe they turned out to be right or not but you can say whatever you want on the way out and uh if it's convincing great so it's it's just an element of gameplay that i feel like it i personally agree that it should not be allowed i just think that like i like to keep some boundaries around the game and i think that if you're voted out you're voted out and your time to speak is on the jury right and also i just want to mention because a lot of people are talking about the fact of like well it's really nice that between last episode with high and this episode it seems like this cast really is able to like they all really gel and they're able to recognize this is just a game and like sure that's great i do like a little bit of bitterness (laughs) i think there's an in-between here because i think this is giving me a little bit of rupaul's best friend race and i kind of like a little bit more animosity i'm not asking for you know the complete and overwhelming bitterness which has plagued some of the earlier seasons but i feel like to recognize that they're all getting along this early into the game i'm like we need to we need to get into the mud we need to, or rather from the premiere episode we need to get into the blood like pour some more blood on these people because i think you need a i just think you know you need a little bit more tension yeah i mean like i i, I think it's up to them how they want to act and i think like there's a big i don't know I think that there's a lot of pressure on how you should act in that moment. And I feel like I would probably take, well, maybe not the Drea approach, but something in between, more like the high approach where I'd be like, good job, guys. But I would be personally devastated, but I just wouldn't want to show that because it's like, I don't know, it's a very vulnerable moment to like expose how you're truly feeling in that in that moment. And so I can understand where they're coming from. But I also think that we got some, we've gotten some bitter exits. Like, I don't think Rock Story was too pleased to go home. I don't think he was, like, that distraught. He said he hoped that they freeze. Maybe okay. He didn't say to death, but he did say freeze. Specifically, Romeo okay. and High. Romeo can't afford to freeze. He's got no meat on his bones. No, he needs nutrients. Okay. <laughs> okay, what else do I have to say? Jeff, Jeff referring to himself as a viewer. I just want to put okay. that out there. He did that. <laughs> he called him as a viewer. Well, Jeff, you're not the viewer. You're the host. Okay. Jeff had fun, though. It's nice to see Jeff having fun. Okay, so this is where we stand moving into next week. We have two episodes of this show left. Lindsay has an idol. Omer has Mike's idol. Marianne has an idol. And an extra vote. Romeo has nothing. Jonathan has nothing. We could find ourselves in an advantage get-in very soon. Because everyone has to use anything next episode, right? I don't know if it's next episode or final five. I'm actually not sure. And I couldn't find the answer to it. 
Yeah, we need more clarity on the yeah. rules if they exist at all. Okay, well, I definitely think Marianne wins this season. Really? I definitely think Marianne wins. Why? For a lot Isn't of reasons. Isn't my second pick Marianne? Th- didn't, didn't I change Maybe. my pick or was she original? Well, pick? first of all, remember. bring Jenny back so I can get my win. Okay. <laughs> but uh, no, Ma- I think Marianne is winning. Just because of the edit? Like for Marianne? I did have to wonder like, okay, are we seeing that Marianne's toenails fall off for like to endear us to her? I mean, we were, we're already endeared to her. So like, wh- how do I read into that scene? That's what, I, that's what I was saying about the camp life thing. It's like, I'm all for camp life, but I didn't know what we were to infer because we've gotten a lot of like Marianne is kooky. Like that's, we've done that already. So I didn't know what the, what that was doing for us as like an audience. Like what was the, what were the editors thinking in showing us that footage besides the fact that like, this is just odd. I mean, I thought that the actual takeaway from that scene was not that Marianne's toenails fall off it was Lindsay's reaction to it I felt like Lindsay stole the scene where she was like she was the one to be like this doesn't happen that you have an annual amount like nobody's ever said this to you in your life I just thought that like Lindsay's reaction was the comedy in that scene as opposed to the toenail falling off uh but yeah I mean like I I really can only see Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda (laughs) I can really only see I can see Marianne winning I don't know that I'm like fully seeing it i could see omer winning although i think he's getting some knocks against him at this point and i could see Lindsay winning but if they if Lindsay wins and they have edited her in the way that they have edited her absolutely a hundred percent unforgivable and they've learned nothing and they will never change I also just feel like if Lindsay wins, it's just a little Sarah Lucina for me in the sense of just like, I think we've seen a Lindsay type of winner before. And I just feel like Marianne is such an exciting interview and I've I interview such an exciting winner. And I've said this before, but what Survivor needs right now desperately, and this is so uh, reinforced by our interview with Parvati is like they need someone that can do the press rounds well. And I do not think they've gotten that out of the last few winners of the show. And I feel like Marianne is an exciting interview. Like just the thought of alone having her on Drop Your Buffs, like she has an energy and an excitement about her that I think the franchise could really, really use right now. And I don't think Lindsay possesses that. That's why we needed a Lydia win, ultimately. <laughs> Lydia was barely in the show. <laughs> I know. But she was good when Bring she was in back. it. She was good when she was in it. Yeah. And her exit press alone. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I would love a Marianne win. Another Canadian like two in a row. Wow. They would start targeting Canadians on the show, which I love. Mm. Okay. Well, very excited to see what happens. Make sure that you're subscribed to us so that you don't miss next week's recap. If you haven't listened to our incredible Parvati episode, life-changing interview, go listen to that now. Agree. But do you feel like, should we have another winner on soon? I think we should. Okay, but I want a good winner. I don't want a flop mm-hmm. winner. Okay, it has to be a woman. Has to be a woman. Let's think. And it on has that. to be from the first twenty seasons. I agree because I feel like, well, yeah. I mean, we're. It's we're, like I would love like, to interview Kim Spradlin, but she's a little too similar to Parvati. Too similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, let's think on it. Let's see if we can corral someone. Let us know. Hey, send us your suggestions for interviews. Make them yeah. realistic. Hey. I don't know if anybody saw this in our post about the poverty interview, but somebody had an Amanda sighting. 
Did you really? see this? No. Somebody had an Amanda sighting. They said, uh, I don't can't pull it up right now. They said that their brother or somebody, a family member, ran into Amanda Kimmel at an ice cream shop in Montana in the past couple of years and approached her and that she was so nice and she was like, thank you for watching Survivor. Thanks for being a fan. Like, what? I wow. want to run into Amanda Kimmel at an ice cream shop. In Montana, no less. In Montana. Bozeman, is that a place? I think that's what she said. I don't know. I'm confident that like, I do think we will get her eventually. <laughs> because yeah. we've had other guests, upcoming guests that have been brought to us by fans of the show, having connections to former players, fans of our show connecting us, that have former players in their ether connecting us, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I just think there's a world in which someone listening sees her, tells about Drop Your Buffs, she's ready to set the record straight. I don't know. But then also part of me is like, should I just ask Ozzy for her number and like go in blind? I don't think Ozzy has her number. I think he does. I think he could get in touch with her if he wanted. I think if anybody was going to get in touch with Amanda, it would be Parvati. True. true, And she doesn't even have Amanda's number. Ozzy does not have Amanda's number. It did not end well between them. But Ozzy could, like, get it, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, Ozzy could get it, but I don't know if he could get Amanda's number. Oh, Ozzy could get it. (laughs) Okay, well, we might find Amanda. We'll see. Was it your idea that was, like, the the docuseries about, like, it's, like, finding Amanda? Yeah, okay, yeah, I love it. I mean, it was Parvati's idea, but I'm going to execute it. Listen. Parvati is executive producer. That's strategy. Okay, Go comment little holes on our Instagram. We're going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. We have exciting plans for interviews coming up. Plus, we've got some merch ideas brewing. We do. Okay, so for the upcoming episode that we're going to do about the hottest men of Survivor, can you leave us voice memos that say, Hi, my name is blank, I'm from blank, and the hottest male Survivor player of all time is blank. Please just note, if you do not use that script template, we cannot use them. I'm very specific (laughs) about this. Hi, my name is blank, I'm from blank, and the hottest male Survivor player of all time is blank. You can also say female Survivor player if you want. Sure, but I'm just saying for this episode. You can also say non binary player if you True, want. True, but we'd only have one person openly non binary player. I know, but right? I kind of think that, like, I don't even think, I just want to do, like, the hot men, but I just want to have, like, at the end, like, let's throw out some hot names. What are the, some names we didn't say? The ones mm. that we didn't include. Removing gender from the conversation altogether. I want some outliers. Into it. Yeah. Amazing. Can't wait to be flooded. With voice memos. Flooded. Thank with you holes. so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.